0: Husky Nation, it's the end of the third quarter. Are you looking for the perfect tequila for your next get-together? The answer is born from a hero, Hero de Leon, direct from the prestigious Mergilla family just outside Guadalajara, honoring their great-grandfather who saved Mexico from a horrible civil war. It's authentic, courageous, with great integrity, just like the general. Enjoy the smoothest Blanco tequila you've ever tasted, or the rich flavor of our Reposado, aged for seven months in American bourbon barrels, or the ultimate tequila, our Añejo, which is aged for 18 months in the same bourbon oak barrels. Go to your favorite liquor retailer or restaurant and ask for Hero de Leon, because it's always the end of the third quarter. Imported by Zombie Beverages, Mercer Island, Washington
1: hello and welcome back to another edition of the dog and duck show we are in week 10 the dogs are nine and zero. the ducks are eight and one huskies are number five in the nation in the most recently released cfp poll the ducks once again are quacking at their heels at number six mark there as we've said many times over the last year or so there has never been a better time To host a show called the dog and duck show and our huskies and our ducks do not have not disappointed how are you doing my friend
0: well i think if you told the two of us when we walked through the schedules at the beginning of the year that one of us would be nine and oh the other one would be eight and one with a three-point loss to the other one we would have said that's perfect for this show. Of course, I would have rather switched positions with you, but even if you told me when we mapped out those schedules that Oregon would be eight and one and they would have split their road games with Washington and Utah, that's exactly what I would have, you know, hoped for at the beginning of the year when we were mapping out the schedules. So um, yeah. Yeah, I I mean, I feel like you
1: did say that. I mean, if, if my memory serves me correctly, you I said, mean, I said the perfect was... scenario would be if both teams were undefeated except for UW narrowly beating Oregon at home to set up what would be the ultimate battle which is a Pac-12 championship game which we are we're barreling closer and closer towards as the season comes to an end
0: right and i i think i actually i had Oregon going 11 and one with a loss to Utah and Washington going 11 and one with a loss to Oregon was my favorable scenario set up. But, uh, but, you know, the truth is, is I think uh, we all looked at our respective schedules, saw kind of four games that you circle against the other major contenders, two on the road, two at home and thought we really need to win the home games. And if we can split the two road games will be in pretty good shape by the end of the year. Oregon had the road games first. Now they've got to take care of business at home. Washington took care of business at home uh or has taken care of business at home against Oregon and on Thus the road. See, yeah. now and now has two more left on their docket. So altogether, good good shape for both schools heading into the the stretch run for sure.
1: Absolutely. And you know, you talked about circling dates on the calendar and for Husky fans one of the biggest dates on the calendar at the beginning of the season was going to Los Angeles in the Coliseum to play the USC team coached by Lincoln Riley led by Heisman trophy winner Caleb Williams and Mark this kind of sparked uh, a a text debate between you me and the other guys who are part of this uh, kind of this podcast thread around the the definition of the word upset. And I just want to touch on this for just a moment that we, we went, we went in circles for longer than I care to admit (laughs) about whether or not Washington going on the road, losing to an Uber talented team with a Heisman trophy winning quarterback uh, in a game that was only separated by 3.5 or three points, by vegas whether or not that qualified as an upset and i think where we landed and mark you can comment on this if you disagree i think where we landed on this was that if the blanket term for upset is anytime a lower ranked team defeats a higher ranked team it will always be an upset then yes that would have been an upset My argument was that the word is a little bit more nuanced than that, uh, that there are are games where it's ultimately a a coin toss type of game. And if you lose in one of those games, it doesn't really qualify as as an upset. The Huskies losing against Stanford, upset. The Huskies losing against ASU, upset. The Huskies going on the road and losing a narrow game to USC, as I described not an upset, but Mark, you and several others on our text thread were very passionate that, that this had to be an upset.
0: Well, I think you're, you're describing a portion of the conversation that I think got a little sidetracked from, from an initial point that I was trying to make. I, I did a ton of research, which I think I shared on the show last week about uh, the difficulty of winning in November when you've got a really good team. And I presented all of this data and I I went back and I looked at the Don James era and I looked at the history of Oregon football and that there are all these years where these teams come into November riding high, you pencil out the rest of the schedule and you say, we should be favored in all four games in November, here it is. And then and then almost inevitably a team drops one of those games. And so I shared all of this, this data And you made a quip where you showed last November's Washington schedule. And you said something like, well, what's Kalen DeBoer's record in November compared to Dan Lanning's. And I was like, Warren, you're totally missing the point. Last (laughs) year, Washington did not enter November with a top 10 ranking. They did not enter November with national title hopes. It was a totally different scenario. And you said, well, they played a, a tougher schedule last year. And I said, no, you're missing the point. All of these losses in November are upset losses. They're teams losing to teams they should be beating, teams that are ranked behind them, oftentimes teams that are even unranked. So when I was using the upset term, yes, I was using it very broadly to just say that it's the type of game that when you're penciling out the schedule, you're saying we should be favored to win all of these games. So I'm... Washington has three of their last four games against ranked opponents, USC, Utah, the Beavers. None of these would be like a monstrosity if they lost them, right? None of these are like where you're wanting to like string up Coach DeBoer or something like that. Like, these would all be be recognizable, understandable, you know, types of, of defeats in the world of college football. At the same time, these are all games that right now you're penciling in, and you're saying we should be favored in every single oh, one yeah. of these games. These are all teams that we should beat if we play our game. That's the point that I was making: is that right. kind of the the heartbreak that that oftentimes befalls teams in November hits teams when they're feeling exactly like our two fan bases are feeling, which is we're sizing up the rest of the schedule, we're starting to make plans about being in Las Vegas. And then some team that you'd kind of checked the box as that's a win, they play their best game of the season, and all of a sudden your head is spinning because your team took a loss that you didn't see coming.
1: Absolutely, and and again, I think you're 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 right in the, in the same. I think we're agreeing on this main fact that if a team like USC comes into OTSU next week and they play their best game and beat Oregon, I mean you. Yeah, you could say that's an that's an upset, especially now that they're not even ranked, especially the, since they're on the road. But, um, you know, you, you look at the talent and you go, OK, like this, this is a team that had all the tools to win this game. They just, you know, had they had kind of made their own mistakes and blunders to to lose games, but the talent was always there. And I think same thing, like, again, it's a little bit different. Like if we were going on the road this weekend to, to Utah and Utah beat us, I wouldn't consider it an upset, but being at home, we should win. If, if Utah does beat us when we're at home, that that does kind of fall more into that upset category for me. But uh, yeah, I mean, again, like uh, there's a good chance that we'll face Oregon state in two weeks. And they're going to be ranked number 12 or 13 in the country. And if they win at home, I'm not going to be like, oh, man, I can't believe that happened. How how could we have possibly lost to those guys? Because uh, those things happen, you know, as Dan Lanning and the
0: Oregon Ducks know very well. So, <laughs> but. <laughs> well, but no, but Warren, you will, though, because let me tell you, when your team is 10 and 0, Yeah, going into game 11, even if it's like I remember an Oregon team that was 10 and 0 hosting a Stanford team that was maybe ranked, I want to say like fourteenth or something. And Oregon was ranked number one. And we lost 17 to 14 in overtime to Stanford. And that was a respectable Stanford team. David Shaw, I think they finished in the top 10. You know, that was the run where Stanford was always good every year. Yeah, but that game has haunted me as much as any Oregon game has because the what if, you know, yeah, now Washington is in a position where with the 14 playoff, maybe maybe they can still get a bit of a mulligan, although this year that's that's shaky. I know we're going to get into that uh, later on, but like you will be haunted by that loss and it's no disrespect to the Beavers, but you're going to think about that, especially then if the Beavers go out and lose by three touchdowns to the Ducks the following week, you're going to be like, oh my goodness how how did we not get past that oregon state game it's going to haunt you regardless just because that's that's the way these things work
1: no there's no doubt if we go into oregon state 10 and 0 and lose we'll never get over it but you know that is a part of the the nature of college football i mean mark you're the historian how many undefeated pac12 teams have we seen since the introduction of the college football playoffs Z- zero exactly yeah so you know to to presume that this is the year and maybe it is but to presume this is the year uh you know that's that's a little bit uh well it's presumptuous so we're gonna we're gonna move on because the huskies were not upset against usc they did take care of business uh, and you know this this you know continues to build UW's uh resume, I think, for the season. They've now beaten the top three teams in the conference as it stands right now: Oregon, USC, and Arizona. Two of those three games being on the road. And they still have the next two teams in the top five of the Pac-12 coming up in number 18, Utah and number 16, Oregon State. So uh a great resume builder this weekend this past weekend. This game against USC, we all penciled it in as being Penix versus Williams. And there's no doubt about it, neither one of those quarterbacks disappointed. Michael Penix had one of the most incredible scramble and throw plays of his entire career to Devin Culp in the corner of the end zone. Uh, you know, He graded out, according to Ryan Grubb, his best game of the season, even though he only finished with uh, 256 yards passing, two touchdowns uh, passing, one touchdown running, and an interception. Um, You know, it was still a great game. He stayed within himself. But no one is going to remember this as Penix versus Williams. They are going to remember this as the Dylan Johnson game. And... Uh, I can honestly say I did not see this coming. They're not, I mean, not in my wildest dreams would I have imagined that Dylan Johnson would carry the ball 26 times for 256 yards, four touchdowns, and that the offensive line would dominate USC in a way that they were never even able to dominate Tulsa on yeah. this level. So what they did against USC was truly phenomenal. Um, And I'm sure Oregon fans have to be licking their chops, you know, preparing for USC this weekend, seeing what, uh, what Washington did to them on the ground, which, you know, the ground is not our forte. So uh, really an amazing game uh, from start to finish.
0: The number that caught my eye, Warren, wasn't the 256 yards. It was 199 yards before contact. Yeah. Before a USC defender touched him, he racked up 199 yards on those carries, which is just absurd. I mean, there were so many carries where he's just running free and there's nobody getting a hand on him. But, you know, we talked about this going into the game that we felt like there are easy yards to get on the ground for both teams. But who is going to be the more patient team? Both of these offensive coaches really like to air it out. They've got these talented quarterbacks. They've got these talented receiving cores. Who is going to be the patient team and just take those yards on the ground when they're there? And I added it up, Warren. Washington had 31 passing plays and 41 rushing plays. So they, they, Unbelievable. they stayed disciplined on that. USC, 39 passes, just 24 rushing plays, even though they averaged seven and a half yards a carry. Now, part of that is is their star running back, uh, what is it, Marshall, Marshawn Marshall Lloyd. Lloyd, you yeah. know, did not play. But the guy that they had in there was averaging like 10 yards a carry every time he touched yeah. the ball.
1: Austin Jones is a bona fide, you know, star. Yeah. And, you know, and he was fresh because he hasn't been playing as much this year. He looked like he was, you know, uh uh an NFL ready running back from start to finish so you're absolutely right uh, USC had the run as much as they wanted it for most of the game they relied on their you know mesmerizing quarterback and Caleb Williams was truly remarkable I mean I I I found myself in awe of what he could do out on the field but one thing that has been, uh, an Achilles' heel for Caleb Williams has been sacks and turnovers. Yep. He's been sacked frequently, and he leads the nation in turnovers over the last two years at the quarterback position. And that ultimately came back to bite him in one of the more, you know, uh, movie-worthy moments. Uh, Zion Tupaola Fatui, otherwise known as ZTF, uh, came in at the end of the second quarter. Uh, crashed in on uh, Caleb Williams, got the strip sack. Braylon Trice, his partner in crime, picked it up. That ultimately ended up becoming the, the, the defensive play of the game for both teams. And what's so remarkable about that is that uh, just a week earlier, uh, immediately following the Stanford game, ZTF found out that his dad had passed away and um you know just brutal heartbreaking news to receive for someone at that age his dad loved watching him play uh, he had promised his dad that he would get a strip sack this season and then to do it in that game in that moment on that stage yeah against that quarterback I mean that was unbelievable, and uh, you know, Softy interviewed him after the game, and and he was in tears. There's a beautiful, you know, video of uh, head coach Kalen DeBoer, you know, just hugging ZTF after the game, and ZTF's just crying into his shoulders. You know, it's just a it's just a powerful reminder that you know these guys are not just uh, action figures that you kind of just on the field and move around. They're they're real people with real issues and struggles. And and Mark, it kind of reminded me of, and I don't know what what will come from this story from here on out, but it kind of reminded me a little bit of what happened last year with Wayne Talapapa almost right around this time where, uh, of course, you may remember uh, Talapapa was a transfer, grad transfer from UVA Mm-hmm. And, uh, there was the tragic UVA shootings, which occurred and, and ultimately ended up resulting in the death of three of his former teammates. Uh, all that happened before the Colorado game, uh, Talapapa, who had had 100 yard game previous to, to that point in the season ran for over a hundred against Colorado, did it again, um, and then uh, did did it again against Washington State in the Apple Cup, and then ultimately really carried the Huskies in their bowl game against Texas, and finished the season as one of the most uh, you know, dynamic Husky you know running stretches over three games that we've seen in years. So, you know how much of that had to do with him really kind of dedicating the season to those fallen teammates, how much of that had to do with just where the Husky offense was at in that moment, the defenses they played, uh, that can be debated, but certainly you wonder if this is going to be the kind of thing where ZTF and his teammates rally and they say, Hey, we're, we're going to rise up for our brother and, and, and in honor of his dad and what, what, you know, what will the story tell you know what will the rest of the story be as we see this season unfold?
0: Yeah, I mean that it it was uh, it was a really moving moment for anybody that that knew the background, even if you were rooting against the Huskies, as I was. Uh, <laughs> although it's hard to root against the Huskies when they're playing USC, I felt like it was kind of a Sophie's Choice moment. And didn't didn't really have a team right. to root for, but um,
1: you know, um, Mark. To be honest, like you know, you probably are not going to like me saying this but i never really considered oregon much of a rival when i was growing up it was oh, usc that
0: doesn't, that doesn't surprise me we yeah. we,
1: we hated usc the yeah. trojans were the ones that we wanted to 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 beat um oregon was just another team on the schedule at that 100%. point
0: yeah yeah that makes that makes sense for where for how old you are warren
1: uh, i know i mean i'm ancient you know i was i was it's like someone said the other day, they're like, So you were alive before the internet. I'm like, Oh yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah.
1: yeah. Life was pretty sweet back then.
0: But um the so- the only thing I wanted to add here, Warren, was um aside from the I mean just the touching nature of what that moment was for ZTF and um everything about that, there was that particular sack. Which directly led to seven points just before the half. Which if they don't, if they don't get a sack there and they just force a punt, Washington doesn't score before the half. They didn't have enough time. Uh, and then there's the sack in the fourth quarter. You know, uh, the Trojans finally held Washington to a field goal. So so Caleb Williams was driving with a chance to put them up, put them up instead of just tie the game. They have a touchdown called back on a holding penalty, which was a good call. Uh, puts them back at the 30-yard line. They're just on the edge of field goal range. And then Caleb Williams takes another sack. You're going to have to help me out on the name of, of that. Boy,
1: uh, Yeah, there you yep. go.
0: Uh, those were by far the two most consequential plays of the game uh, from a defensive perspective. And they were just two plays that, like, if you're a USC fan, you've just got to be pulling your hair out. Because as awesome as Caleb Williams is, those are two situations where you – cannot cannot take a sack for any reason whatsoever like you just have to get rid of the ball there uh and those were i mean that was that was a 10 point swing the touchdown before the half Mm -hmm. kicking him out of field goal range in the fourth quarter and what was the final margin it was a 10 point margin those those were the two most critical plays of the game and credit to the USC or the Washington defense, because Caleb Williams is not an easy guy to track down. Mm. There were a lot of times where they put pressure on him and he was able to escape it and make a great play by finding a receiver downfield. Cause it's a long time to cover downfield. So to come through with a sack in, in those two moments and have it affect the game, the way that they did was, was enormous. Absolutely. And,
1: and I'll try to avoid a major rabbit trail here, but you know, just a, a little footnote because You know, you represent the Ducks. The Huskies, of course, are playing USC. um, And both those teams are typically known for having a lot of highly, highly ranked recruiting talent on their team. Just a little footnote that that ZTF, um, he was discovered by the University of Washington. And when he got uh, when he committed to UW, he was a low three star Same with Boy Tanufi, low three-star. Nobody else really wanted him, but the Huskies saw something in him. And Tanufi is an interesting guy because he's an undersized defensive tackle that this year got moved to the edge uh, to try to help kind of give some extra support to Trice and ZTF. Uh, But for this game, because of Caleb Williams and his mobility – they moved him back in to the defensive tackle position. And that turned out to be a brilliant decision because it resulted in that sack. But uh, to is, he doesn't, he's not a full-time starter for this team, but he has had some of the most consequential sacks over the last two seasons out of anyone on our team, maybe more so than Trice, which is saying something since Trice is probably going to be a first round draft pick. Tanufi just has a nose for the ball at critical moments. And it's just a fun thing to watch when you see a guy that kind of came in. Nobody really wanted him, but he's got the knack. Whatever that is, he's got the knack. And and he did it again uh, on, on Saturday night. So exciting for him. But um, great game. One other thing that I wanted to mention is Jalen McMillan once again was out and so the Huskies I think are starting to realize that they're going to have to just ha- imagine an offense without Jalen McMillan. Yeah, apparently he's gone to uh, some of the ZTS uh, excuse me some of the Seattle Seahawks training staff to uh get some you know second opinions on his knee. But in his place Giles Jackson came in again of course he was a hero for us in the Oregon game had some critical catches uh once again for the Huskies this past week didn't really amass a lot of yards because we didn't pass a lot but he was his presence was felt and I wanted to clear something up Mark that we talked about uh last week on the show related to Giles Jackson I heard this in an interview with um coach DeBoer earlier this week but uh, the way that the eligibility works is that you are only allowed to ha- play up to four games in the regular season. Um, and so Giles is going to be going into this Utah game on Saturday. That'll be his fourth game playing this season. If uh, If he plays the game, then he's going to have to make a decision whether or not he wants to play against Oregon State and Washington state um, and retain his eligibility and play one more year next year or burn it and, and he'll be done. He's a senior. Uh, But I did get clarification that the PAC 12 championship game and any bowl or playoff games do not count towards the four game minimum. So, uh, so, so ultimately He can if he decides to skip out on Oregon State and Washington State, he can then resume playing in the Pac-12 championship game, assuming we make it there and in whatever bowl or playoff situation we're in. So just wanted to clear that up. Um,
0: That wasn't really a point of
1: controversy. It was just a point where I didn't really know the answer last week on the show.
0: Well, it, and it's help, helpful to have that that clarity don't you think that the Jalen McMillan news directly relates whether they would want to use that full eligible? like I would think if if the prognosis is Jalen McMillan is likely out at least through the end of the regular season then you would not be concerned about trying to protect this as a redshirt season and you would want to have Giles Jackson playing wouldn't you I would think
1: so. I mean, excuse me. I I would think so. I think, you know, most likely they're going to leave that decision up to him because it is his future, whether or not he believes he can achieve his career goals pursuing the NFL, if he maximizes his, you know, eligibility for an extra year, or if he comes up big and ends up playing, five more games that could be enough to give him what he needs to take that next step to the nfl Um but i think the biggest thing is that he would have to look himself and his brothers in the eyes and say uh you know i'm not going to play for you guys Um and i i just can't imagine that he would do that um yeah. the, how special is this season how special is this moment that you wouldn't want to be out there contributing for your team especially when there's a gaping hole that you are perfectly you know created to fill I just can't I can't imagine so you know I think ultimately it really is going to come down to what is McMillan's health look like uh, going into that Oregon State game and and then ultimately, you know, does is Giles the the perfect substitute or will he be an addition? And if he's an addition, maybe he sits, but I think he's playing no matter what.
0: Yeah, I, I just knowing that news about McMillan, especially, I would I would be shocked if there's any other conclusion to that. So let's talk a little bit
1: about uh the Oregon game. And then we'll circle back and talk a little bit about the rankings that came out tonight. Um, So walk us through what you saw in this Oregon versus Cal game that on paper looked like a total blowout. But the way that it started was not exactly how you would have drawn it up.
0: Yeah, it was uh, so I don't have the uh Pac-12 network uh so I was forced to uh, listen to this game on the radio and uh we had my in-laws in town so we were out on a little bit of an outing, we're in the car as the game's kicking off. So my father and I are, and I are listening in the car as we're driving home. And this first quarter was just this weird chaotic sloppy quarter in so many ways. Oregon had come into the Cal game with two turnovers on the entire season. Uh, They turned the ball over twice on their first, I think their first three possessions. Bo threw an interception that bounced off of his brother, the receiver, uh, Tez Johnson just hits him in the chest, bounces into the arms of a defender. Um, Then they had a, a fumbled snap where Tez Johnson, poor Tez Johnson was running behind, the center and the center, I guess, maybe snapped it a, a second too soon, and it hit Tez Johnson in the leg. Cal scoops it up and scores. Uh, so they doubled their number of turnovers for the year in the first quarter. Uh, they had multiple touchdowns called back for penalties, uh, including a, a a blocked field goal that they ran all the way back for a touchdown, and that came back because the guy who blocked the kick had lined up in the neutral zone um so just it was just this comedy of errors uh at one point uh it's 14 to 13 and my father-in-law says to me what's going on with your ducks and that was about (laughs) five minutes minutes to go in the second quarter 14 to 13 and by halftime it was 35 to 13 like that's how that's how quickly uh the flip the switch got flipped you know, Oregon um, figured things out from there. Obviously, they won by 44 points. Um, and and Tez Johnson, he was, you know, directly responsible for the first turnover, indirectly responsible for the second turnover, bounces back, had by far his best game in an Oregon uniform, 12 catches, 180 yards, scored a 48-yard touchdown on a second and 37, and also added a, a 47-yard punt return for good measure. So uh, he was definitely player of the game uh, despite a, a really rough start.
1: Yeah. You know, and I mean, you're looking at it now and uh, I can't even remember how many points the Huskies put up on Cal, but
0: it feels 59. like it was, what was that? 59.
1: 59. Uh, Oregon put up 63. USC put up 50. I mean, Cal was supposed to be a team that, you know, had a struggling offense, but, but was solid on defense. Have they just completely fallen off the rails or are these offenses just so superior that uh, they're, you know, they just are over, you know, overpowering a great defense or a good defense.
0: I, I really, I don't know what the explanation is. I mean, Justin Wilcox, I think for a long time has been one of the more respected defensive minds in the game uh, going back to his time at Boise um, and continuing through um, his time at Washington so uh, it's pretty baffling because yeah you could always kind of count on Cal to give you a strong defensive outing and their offense was suspect their offense has been better this year Um, they've had some productive outings I don't know whether it's I don't you know I'd be interested to know like how how many guys they lost in the portal I'd be interested to know what kind of injuries they have I just don't know enough about their roster to know if this is just a depleted team or if the guys that he's bringing in just aren't the same caliber that that Cal has had in the past but it puts it certainly puts Justin Wilcox a guy who has ties to both Oregon and Washington in his past uh, puts him in a precarious Position going forward. And and it's interesting, Warren, because if you remember when Dan Lanning was first hired shortly after he was hired, there was a letter that surfaced that had been signed by Joey Harrington and Marcus Mariota and a number of other well-known Oregon alums that was pretty much urging the athletic director to hire Justin Wilcox. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was that well. And that and and the letter came out the existence of this letter came out after Lanning was hired, but the letter had been put forward before Lanning's hiring was made. So it wasn't that this this group of players was, was voicing a displeasure with Dan Lanning as the choice, but it, it kind of felt that way in the mm-hmm. timing of when the story broke, because it was very much like, oh, these alums don't even want this guy. They wanted their guy, Justin Wilcox to come back because they felt like Oregon had kind of lost touch with, the history of of who they were as a program. And man, it's hard to look at what Lanning has done in a year and three quarters compared to what has happened at Cal and how the bottom has just fallen out in, mm. in a real way and think that Oregon would be in better shape with with Justin Wilcox at the helm. Without a doubt. I mean,
1: Dan Lanning has been really a fantastic Fantastic hire for the Ducks, and uh, you know I think everybody knew when you know when people were talking about Wilcox. I think well I'll say at least for Husky fans we were like oh that would be perfect because he is just a mid coach. He is just he he's going to be good enough to keep them competitive, but bad enough to keep them from being elite. Right and. So-
0: a, a Clay Helton type hire. <laughs>
1: right. Well, maybe. I think he would have been a little bit better than Clay Helton, although he doesn't seem to be particularly interested in, in recruiting. Uh, but, but I I mean, I think he would have been a guy that was, you know, putting together nine and three seasons pretty yeah. regularly, which, you know, that's great for most teams, but that's not what Phil Knight's paying for, so right no uh so and speaking of you know getting what he paid for uh the ducks did come in once again at number 6 in the country as the highest ranked one loss team in college football washington came in again at number 5 as the lowest ranked power 5 uh you know uh undefeated team so we're we're back where we were. In, in spite of the fact that Washington beat a ranked USC team on the road, it wasn't enough to sway voters to to you know move them above any of the you know, Florida State, Georgia, Ohio State, or Michigan. We know that Ohio State and and Michigan are going to play, and that's going to at least rub one of those out of the the top four temporarily. Um, But I think for me, as I'm looking at this, you know, there's there's two ways to think about it. Like, does this matter at this point? And I think on the one hand, yes, it does matter. On the other hand, no, it doesn't matter. So uh, I'd be interested to hear your feedback on this. But I think, you know, the argument for why it does matter is that if we were number one in the country. Like Ohio State is, yeah. Um, we lose a game between now and the end of the season, and then we beat Oregon uh, in the Pac-12 championship. I think we still get in to the CFP if we're number one in the country and we win out, and we lose to a one-loss Oregon. I think we still stay in. You know, assuming that there's a little bit of mayhem uh, at the top, but being at number five, ultimately, what the the CFP is saying to wa- the University of Washington is, you literally have no room for error. You yeah. cannot absorb a loss and expect to make it into the college football playoffs. Ironically, it seems like the road for Oregon is still there where if they can win out, they can absorb that one loss better than, than the university of Washington. So I would say on the, on the one side, on the, you know, on that side, yes, it does matter greatly on the other side. No, it doesn't matter because. um, I think we've always known that we were going to have to win every game to get there. And. Uh, there's a part of me that's kind of glad that the dogs are being told that they're not good enough to get in, mm-hmm. yeah. So that they keep that edge, and that they don't rest on their laurels, and you know they go into this Utah game saying we've got to, you know, play our very best to to prove that we're worthy, and that they do the same thing against Oregon State, Washington State, and then ultimately we would presume. Oregon. So, uh on that side of the equation I'm like, hey, we either way, what whichever scenario you look at, I think you have to you have to, you know, take the position as a Washington fan. It's win out or be kept out. And if we win out, we are going to be just fine.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's a good way of seeing it and I, I you know, I had somebody ask me earlier this week, well, in like what would it take to get two teams from the Pac-12 in isn't this like a brand thing if this were alabama and georgia or ohio state and michigan if they were both 12 and 1 they would get in wouldn't they that was kind of the question and i i don't think it's that's actually the setup this year i think what we're yeah. seeing this year is there's going to be a disproportionate number of either teams with zero losses or one loss like in the hit since we've gone to the four-team playoff format, there has never been a point in November where there were five major conference teams still undefeated. Uh, and that's what we have right now. So, mm. and if if you just kind of play it out and then again, you start penciling teams in and saying assuming they went out, assuming they went out. Right. You know, there could be seven, eight, even nine. There's a scenario where there could be nine one loss teams or zero loss teams at the end of the year that the committee has to juggle where they're comparing resumes of like, well, what do we do with 12 and one Texas or 11 and one Ohio state or, you know, different things like that. And if you go back, I I won't bore our listeners. But, But you're not Mark, you're not suggesting though, that, that
1: the committee would take a one loss team if there was still four undefeated No, oh, yeah
0: i i think the four undefeated teams or the, i mean there's five but you're there's right five
1: on. now but it's let's beautiful. say that we know there'll be at at the most
0: four at the most four if those four teams went out i think it's it's locked and loaded those four teams yeah would so the real fourth.
1: question is what happens if you have three undefeated teams How do you determine who that
0: fourth team is with the one? That's when it gets chaotic. If any of these teams, and so that would be Washington, Florida state, or Georgia, if any of them take a loss, or if we get some sort of three-way tie between Michigan, Ohio state, Penn state, then it starts to really get interesting. We're comparing resumes of who know, you know, if, if it's Oregon who gets in there, if it's Alabama, who, who beats Georgia, if, Texas is still 12 and what like then it gets really complicated and um so yeah the undefeated teams yeah. are in the best position all of them can right. win their way into that final four and after that it's it's dicey for everyone
1: yeah and there's actually there's no way that uh there would be a situation where there would be three zero loss teams and Oregon's being considered as the only one-loss team. That that's not possible because we know that Michigan or Ohio State is going down. So that actually down to four. If Oregon beats Washington, then that would knock it down to three. Correct. So, you know, so uh, yeah. So I mean, you know, wait a minute. So yeah, it would. No, that would work, wouldn't it? What
0: you're saying is there is no way that if, if Oregon finishes 12 and one, there's no way that there's four undefeated teams that take a spot. Like they would, they would at least have to be considered for that spot with some other. Right. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Because, but yeah. I mean, so it's, it's win out or be kept out and, you know, Mark, we were talking, or I guess we were, you know in a text thread talking about kind of what the ideal scenario was kind of walk me through the, what you proposed you thought husky fans would 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 most want and i kind of shared i didn't think that was the the answer
0: well um this was just in reaction to the current rankings which are today which correct me if i'm wrong it's ohio state 1 Georgia two, Florida State three, and Washington four. Is that correct? Uh, no, no. Washington is still five. Or okay, okay. But um, so Washington is five. We're presuming they would move up to four if right. Ohio, If Ohio State beats Michigan. Right. So, so what I was saying is, let's assume the rankings hold. Ohio State finishes one. Georgia finishes two. Florida State finishes three, and Washington finishes four. The contention that I would make is. While Washington fans may be disgruntled about the number four ranking, I think what's more important is to take into account the matchup that you're matched up with. And that in this particular year, if I think if Georgia is the two seed, I would rather be the four seed and play someone other than Georgia. And if that if that means playing Ohio State, who has a first year quarterback, who has had an offense that has looked suspect in some of their in some of their bigger games like against Notre Dame and Penn State where they've really struggled to score and I'm and I, if I was rooting for a Washington team that's had a defense that's had some issues against good offenses then I think I would say Washington is probably a better matchup against Ohio State than they are against georgia or florida state certainly against georgia i i am just of the mind you would want to avoid georgia as much as possible you would want to be on the other side of the bracket than georgia and hope somebody else knocks them out and that you play whoever beat georgia in the title game just because they're the two-time defending champs and they haven't lost you know since like we had a different president so
1: like, yeah exactly i mean they've got the longest winning streak in the country you don't want to go up against them unless you absolutely have to yeah i think uh, I, I said, I don't, that would not be my dream scenario. And there's two reasons for that. Number one, I really want to see Washington um, finish in the top two, because by doing so uh, they would be then placed in the Rose bowl instead of, uh, you know, having to travel across the country. That's a tremendous advantage for, for Husky nation to be able to, to travel to that game. There's the historical and nostalgic, you know, component to that, that, you know, in the final season of the pac 12, wouldn't you want to be in the Rose bowl for that, you know, champion for that, you know, semi-final game. Um, So, so I, I've got, I've got, washington at number two playing number three fsu and you know i know that like from a matchup standpoint fsu does have a great running team they've got a great running game they've got a mobile quarterback they've got some tall wide receivers who are dynamic um but i think this fsu team is the softest of the four teams in the top 10 top 10 uh or the top four I, I think they're coming out of the weakest conference. They're the least battle tested. They have, in my opinion, the poorest resume. Um, so I like our chances again like if you were just say, who do you feel like you have the best chance of beating out of these four? I'm gonna take FSU. And if I can take FSU, who's having to go across the country to play in California, yeah, versus Washington which is almost, you know, in their home state, you know, in comparison, I'm going to take that game uh, every day. So that that's what I'm hoping for. And, you know, someone might be listening going, well, how is Washington going get to get up to number two in the nation? I think there's definitely a pathway forward if they win out. You're looking at uh, them finishing off their season, beating three ranked teams, beating number – 18, Utah, beating number 16, Oregon State, beating their rival, Washington State, and then playing what could potentially be at that moment the number four or five team in the country in Oregon. If we were to beat you guys, um, how could you not move Washington to you know the top two or three? Uh, I mean, to me, that... That would
0: I be, think, I think, in that scenario, though. Warren, I think you have potentially a nightmare situation. Which is, I think, you jump. I think if Washington wins out and Florida State wins out, I think Washington jumps Florida State because Florida State doesn't play anybody in the top 25 for the rest of yeah. the yeah. And I, that's why I've got them at three. Um, and so I think Washington moves above them, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't see how Washington, from where they are now, even playing Utah, Oregon State, and Oregon, I don't see how they jump Georgia, who would claim wins over Ole Miss, Tennessee, and Alabama. And I don't see how they get over Ohio State, who would claim wins over uh, Michigan and then win the Big Ten championship. I just, I don't know. That's 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 a lot to ask. You'd, you'd basically it, be asking the committee to move Ohio State from yeah. one to three and move Georgia up to one, move Washington up to two. I don't think that's totally unreasonable, but I I think it's, I I guess what I'm saying is yeah, you could I'm end not... up as the number three team playing number two, Georgia, and true. then moving up past Florida State feels good in the moment, but then it's also like, I think we'd rather just be at four. It's kind of where I'm at. That No, that's
1: true. And I mean, you know, first of all, we're presuming that all these teams remain undefeated obviously Michigan being, being yeah. the odd man out. Um, and we've already discussed how incredibly unlikely that scenario truly is. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, as great as Georgia is, I mean for them to have to beat Alabama again, you know, to, um, you know, to, to beat Ole Miss, to beat Tennessee on the road you know that that's that's a tough schedule for them um florida state's definitely got the easiest pathway to getting to the the cfp um but yeah i i think i just think that if if you know you look at it and you go okay who is the highest ranked um who's the highest ranked one loss team it's oregon if you beat that team two times in one season, and that's the only Washington is the only team to beat that, that team, how can you not say this is one of the top two teams in the country after beating all these other ranked teams in a historically good PAC 12, you know, conference. So, I mean, again, I'm the Homer. This is the dog and duck show. I'm going to, put out positive vibes for the dogs <laughs> but but i think that like i'm okay with our ranking where we are right now but if if we beat three more ranked teams i think the resume says
0: we're good enough to be in that top 2 Time will tell time will tell. It'll be interesting to see what kind of carnage um, comes around us. You know, if you look at like ESPN has their like percentage of victory in each game, you know? And so if you look at these contenders, you said Florida state has the easiest pass of all of all of the undefeated teams. They're the only team that ESPN gives a greater than 50% chance of finishing the regular season 12 and 0, which is pretty stunning to think about that, that, if you're just going by odds, they've got Ohio State 43%, Georgia 36%, Washington 35%, Michigan 24%. Obviously Michigan and Ohio State play each other, which is part of why they're so low. But even for yeah. Georgia and Washington, where again, you can pencil in wins, but they're looking at it and they're saying, "Ah, yeah, maybe one out of 3 times this this team could run the table, but um it's anything but a but a guarantee uh and and the likelihood of four teams making it through these respective gauntlets is, is the part that's, that's really unlikely, you know, chances are one or two of these teams will emerge. Yeah. And and then we'll look at it and we'll say, Oh, it makes sense that they were one of the one or two teams that did, but um, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Florida
1: state's got Miami and then North Alabama and then, you know, Florida who's been, up and down this season and then they'll most likely face louisville which is like the lowest ranked uh championship game out of all the major conferences so
0: mario cristobal could do us all a big favor by knocking off the seminoles this week he would he would he would become a favorite to both
1: dogs and ducks after that and well, and,
0: and Steve Sarkisian could do us a big favor by dropping a game that he's not supposed to win uh, not supposed to lose so <laughs> true
1: those are the two coaches that could do us the most favors <laughs> that's true that's true well let's talk about speaking of Sarkeesian, let's talk about Oregon versus USC this weekend um, like I said as we reviewed the the Washington USC game Oregon fans have got to be licking their chops, seeing the way that Dylan Johnson ran for 256 yards, four touchdowns, 199 yards before he even, you know, got touched by a USC defender. Um, You know, if, if all things were to stay the same, you would have to expect that Bucky Irving would run for 400 yards by halftime, but things are not the same. As it turns out, uh, Alex Grinch has been released as the uh, you know defensive coordinator for the USC Trojans. So, do we really know what to expect from this USC defense going into Saturday's
0: game mark? Uh... I actually I, I have I have texts that I could read to you of I think like from the USC Cal game where USC is in this shootout with Cal and I had a buddy texting me and saying like are, as Oregon fans are we rooting for USC to beat Cal because we want them to keep a high ranking or are we rooting for them to lose to Cal like we were trying to discern that and what what my contention has been all along is I wanted them to lose to Cal, fire Grinch as the defensive coordinator, promote some interim for the Washington game, and the interim you know, gets these guys to play like their hair is on fire and, and the Trojans pull the upset. So the way I was painting the picture in my mind as like, worst possible scenario for Washington is to have to deal with the interim coordinator instead of Alex Grinch. Right. Of course that's now the scenario that has come to pass <laughs> for Oregon and and so I can talk myself reasonably and I can say hey chances are that like a team that didn't know how to tackle a week ago isn't just going to magically learn how to like tackle right. tackle ball carriers and cover receivers you know these these kind of basic fundamental things but Warren there are so many examples of interim coaches giving a team a lift just last week Arkansas, they scored three points against Mississippi State, they fired their offensive coordinator, they promoted an assistant, and then they went out against Florida and they scored 39 points, which is more points than they've scored all year, they pulled an upset over Florida, and everybody is giving credit to this promoted offensive coordinator who mixed things up, and uh, I think that sort of play calling is maybe a little easier to conceive of on the offensive side than the defensive side, but still uscs athletes like it's not like these guys are like you know um just like an inferior form of of athlete like these were all highly recruited defensive players many of them like big time transfers that came in from other schools with the expectation that they were going to bolster this defense this season yeah so there there is a small part of me for sure that is like this this is all kind of like worst case scenario here for for Oregon to win this particular game to have the incompetent defensive coordinator replaced by anybody that takes a little bit different approach to running a defense. Absolutely. You know, of course there is the opposite example
1: which would be after John Donovan got fired and yes. Uh, you know, they uh, I think they turned to a shared uh, coordinator position with you know junior Adams and uh, I can't remember who else was calling plays with him and uh, they threw in heward and he ended up having like three interceptions and it was the most embarrassing apple cup loss in years so you know it could certainly go that way as well it could be that all of the USC players give up and you know, don't put any effort into it. I mean, who knows what Caleb Williams' estate is gonna be going to this game. That, but that
0: is something I, I wanted to talk about because if did you see at the end of the Washington game when Caleb Williams went over to his mother? Yeah. Yeah.
1: And yeah. Was... And he was obviously, you know, heartbroken that they had lost. You know, it it demonstrated that, you know, his heart was still completely in this game this team this season do you think that that has changed now
0: i i mean i don't know that it's changed but i think that uh i mean i think he's a competitor right and like he was clearly had everything riding on that game um that doesn't mean he's not going to get up off the mat and like put everything into this game i would expect him to but i do think that um when a team comes in with really high expectations and for a team like usc i'm sure like oregon and washington they were talking about pac-12 championships which they're still very much in the mix for but they were talking about national titles or college football playoff and stuff like that amongst themselves they've got a, a heisman winner coming back to play again and to lose to notre dame to lose to utah in a game that came down to the wire to lose to washington in a game that was very competitive into the fourth quarter like that takes a lot out of you emotionally. And I just know as being an Oregon fan, I can think of Oregon teams that I rooted for where they, they had, they took their first loss of the season. And I, in my mind, am saying, okay, that's okay. We regroup, we win the rest of our games. We can still go to the Rose bowl. And then they just have another performance that where there. It's just clear that the wind has been taken out of their sails because mm-hmm. they put so much into those initial goals and once they kind of lost sight of those it was hard to kind of keep going in the same way football is such an emotional sport these are 18 to 22 year old kids that are you know subject to a lot of different whims yeah and i think that oregon is going to have plenty of motivation put it that way like mm-hmm. i don't i don't look at this game as a team where like oregon is going to come in and try to coast and usc is going to surprise oregon by being the more motivated team, I think it's much more likely that Oregon makes a few plays early that kind of take the wind out of their sails and the crowd gets into it and it just becomes a little bit harder for the Trojans to, to keep that, that fortitude. I think that would be the more likely scenario.
1: I do agree with you on that. Um, but with the, the scenarios, uh, if USC were to win, would that put them in the driver's seat for the number two spot in the in the championship game because that well, would be two two losses but both would have uh like they'd have a head-to-head type it, would, it
0: would create a log jam with whoever else finishes the year with with two losses and so that could be okay. arizona that could be utah that could be oregon state that could be oregon like it It's kind of hard to know without knowing exactly how many teams we're talking about. They'd obviously have a tiebreaker over Oregon if they beat Oregon and they'd have a tiebreaker. They already have a tiebreaker over Arizona. Uh, They would not have a tiebreaker over Utah, but if Utah loses to Washington that might take care of itself. And if the Beavers uh, were to lose another game to either Oregon or Washington then that would really open the door for USC to to earn their way back into the Pac-12 mm-hmm. title game if they can beat Oregon.
1: Yeah, so so there really is no excuse for them to give up on this season. I mean, like you said, other than pursuing a national championship, uh, there are lots of big goals still ahead for, for the sure. team. Yeah. For sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's going to be interesting to see what kind of team you get. Are they going to be more, you know, disunified or disinterested uh, after this week? Are they, I mean, are they just not good at all on defense and Oregon's just going to rack up, you know, 400 rushing yards against them? Uh, You know, there's really no way to tell, but clearly Oregon right now is firing on all cylinders. So for, for USC to, to beat Oregon, uh, they're going to have to play their best game of the year. And they're going to have to do something that would cause Oregon to really stumble and, and, and make some critical mistakes that they haven't been making this year. You know, and then I think, you know, kind of, uh, any other thoughts on that before we turn to, to Utah?
0: No, I I think I mean that's it. It would it, it would have to be like the the four four turnovers or five turnovers type of just a, Which
1: they haven't done. I mean, like you yeah. said, they only have four turnovers for the whole year.
0: And I and- think coming coming out of the Cal game and having those and having the co- I mean, the coaching staff is going to be riding these guys hard all week. Uh it's just it's hard to imagine them playing a sloppy game. Uh, with everything that's at stake and and considering the opponents. So, um, so I mean, the other scenario is they just win in a shootout though, Warren, like it, it yeah. is, po- you know, can, can USC win a 49 to 42 game? I, I think Oregon's defense is good enough to withstand that and like make a few stops. But as long as Caleb Williams is involved, this is the second highest scoring team in the nation. So I do think that that if you're, if you're painting the picture for a USC win, that's, that's the picture is it's, is it's a high scoring shootout where they just outlast the ducks. And I think that's certainly a possibility.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So the Huskies come into Saturday's game at home, 12 30 PM, you know, big time game sold out stadium. That was just announced earlier today. Uh, And so, you know, Husky Stadium is going to be rocking and uh, the Huskies are coming in as nearly 10 point favorites. And I think really the question that most of us fans are going to be asking is which Utah team are we getting? Are we getting the Utah team that got obliterated by Oregon 35 to 6 or the one that just, you know, throttled Arizona State? 55 to three. And, you know, one of the things that we, one of the terms that we use a lot in our text threads is uh, transitive properties. You know, we're always, we're always saying, well, if, if this team did this to this team, then that means that they would do this to this team over here. And that can make your head spin when you start looking at some of the results within the PAC 12 and, you know, Washington barely squeaks by Arizona state Oregon throttles Utah you know and then Utah you know destroys Arizona state it's like okay you know how, what do you, how do you make sense of any of that uh, does that mean that Washington's going to beat Utah by 120 points no that's not <laughs> i mean that's not how it works so right. um i think really you know the big question is going to be can Washington do what they need to do to, to stop the running game of Utah, which is their primary form of offense without cam rising. And how good is this Utah defense? Can they slow down? Can they stop Michael Penix and Dylan Johnson and, you know, this dynamic offense. So I think, that's going to really be the 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 story um but having having you know seen what what utah looked like against oregon what are your thoughts
0: or you know impressions about this game well a couple things one on the on in terms of utah's rushing attack you know the story coming into the oregon game was the converted safety sione vaki and he only got, I think he carried the ball five times against Oregon and then kind of limped off with an injury. And I didn't see him in the box score against Arizona State, which makes me wonder if mm. he's now out, which would be, I mean, the season Utah's had with injuries is just um, really unfortunate if he's another one that now has been um, exiled to the sideline. But they they ran all over Arizona State without him, so they seemingly have some guys that they're able to hand the ball to, uh, but he was not one of them. Um, and I don't know if maybe that's just that they just put him back on defense and and that he's just playing over there. I I, I have not done the research. I just happen to notice that. Um, I think the thing that I noticed, though, that would give me the most hope if I was uh, Washington is Utah, despite being a very respected defensive team, Oregon came into that game really feeling like they could throw on them. And Dan Lanning usually defers on the coin toss, but he said in this game he wanted the ball first because he wanted to go down and and score right away. And uh, Bo Nix was something like thirteen of fourteen in the first half. I mean, he just shredded the Utah secondary. And if if Oregon can do that, Washington can do that, right? Like, mm. and um, maybe even more so. And so, I think that that was a pretty pretty interesting development. I mean, Utah statistically has the best pass defense in the Pac-12. So other mm-hmm. teams haven't been able to find those yardage. But again, if you're looking for one team to be able to do what Oregon did against them through the air, I would think Washington is the team that could that could take advantage of that for sure.
1: Yeah, it was interesting. Ryan Grubb was asked, you know, what did Oregon do that made them so successful against Utah and I thought his you know his answer was was spot on but he said really two things number one they didn't make any mistakes so Oregon you know played a a, a pretty mistake free game not just in terms of turnovers but you know high level of execution and then number two he said that they were really patient, and so he talked about how, you know, and, and Washington fans have been kind of quick to criticize Bo Nicks for not doing a lot of down the field passes, but um, you know he really pointed out that that short game um, really set up Oregon to be able to go deep later on in the game, yeah. um, and so I think it's good. It's good to hear that Ryan Grubb is looking at what Oregon has done and saying they were smart to do it this way. Yeah. Because, you know, you don't want to have that offensive coordinator. That's like, you know, Oh, they don't know what they're doing. I'm going to do it my way. Like hopefully he goes into it going, okay, if we want to have a similar result as Oregon in this scenario, maybe we should, go wide before we go yeah. deep yeah. maybe we should you know try to spread and then attack and so i have no like if, if we get on the show next week and you're like oh man they copied all of oregon's answers <laughs> on the test i'll be like yeah that was pretty smart uh, Yeah, right because oregon oregon came in with a great game plan and there's no reason to try to reinvent the wheel if they can at all replicate what Oregon
0: did. Yeah. Now, I mean, the interesting thing is Utah's game against USC, who was another high powered offense was, was much different. Right. And they, I mean, that was a, that was a 34 to 32 game. So USC scored 32 points, but, but seven of those came off of pick six. So holding Caleb Williams to 25 points is a real accomplishment. And so yeah. they had some real success in that game against a, I mean, that that's probably, I would guess Caleb Williams kind of least effective game of the year. Well, I guess the Notre Dame game was that was the worst, but for sure. Um, but I mean, to hold Caleb Williams to 256 yards and, and 25 points is, is something. So I'm sure that they're going to make some adjustments off of what Oregon did to expose them. I mean, they, they are, an incredibly well-coached team, uh, but Washington is also an incredibly well-coached team, so it'll it'll be an interesting chess match. Uh, it's just Utah is so limited offensively with Bryson Barnes as the quarterback, and I would assume that uh, Trice and ZTF and those guys are really going to get after him the way that Oregon did as well. So that for the Utah defense to slow down Penix and company to give their offense a chance to win the game, that would, it would just, it would just take a monumental effort I think for them to, uh, to make enough stops and force enough turnovers and do enough things on that side of the ball to really, to really give that offense a chance.
1: No, I agree. And especially doing it on the road and in a sold out Husky stadium, um, I mean, I just think, man, that's a, that's a tall order. And so assuming that everybody on the Husky roster that we're expecting to play is able to play and is fully healthy. um, You know, I think that 9.5 point, you know, differential is pretty accurate. I wouldn't be surprised if the Huskies win by a couple touchdowns, but um, as we've seen with the, the asu and the stanford games like you never know i mean they the huskies yeah. have proven that they can beat uh, anybody in the country but they've also proven that they can get into some games that are a lot closer than they're supposed to be
0: so well, if you that, told me at the beginning of the year that washington would have a 15 to 7 win in pack 12 play i would have bet just about everything that i owned that it came against utah right right like right that, right. that,
1: was, that
0: yeah. would have been uh choice number one for of that course
1: ticket. if you had actually looked at the huskies record against asu over the last 20 years then you might have said maybe it's asu yeah that's
0: that's yeah true.
1: yeah well hey let's go ahead and we'll wrap it up but um it, you know the 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 beats keep coming and they don't stop coming it is uh, a great time to be a dog and a duck Uh, let's get another w for both teams so we can keep this thing going but uh for all my dog fans out there go dogs and for all my duck fans go ducks all right guys we'll catch you next time